0: All right, let's do this. How are you what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck sticks? What the fuckeristas? What the fuck How is everybody? This is Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my show. Welcome to it. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate all you new folks that are coming in. I'd also want to say uh, one thing up front. If you have the WTF app, uh you want to you might want to update it. Uh, because there was some uh, there was some buggy stuff on the new update and they fixed it so just make sure everything's updated on the WTF app and speaking of that if you don't have it you should get it you can get the free app which is fun and then uh, you can uh, upgrade it to like uh premium for like eight bucks or whatever it is and you can stream every episode of this show a lot of people have been coming up to me at uh, stand-up shows and whatnot saying that they just got into the show and they didn't have any idea that you could do that and they were excited that they could do that. So I'm sharing that with you. If this is old news to any of you, so be it. Today on the show, the, uh, the Honorable Michael McKean is here, one of the great comedic actors and improvisers, a man whose career spanned decades of, of comedy and film, and it was a, 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 just a pleasure to talk to Mr. McKean. I, I couldn't believe it happened. It's actually a pretty uh, interesting week with that because one of his contemporaries and friends, uh, Catherine O'Hara, will be on Thursday, and I can't tell you how fucking excited I was to talk to these people. That What an impact they had on me. Catherine O'Hara, Michael McKean, amazing comedic talents. I've been trying to get her for years in terms of... Uh, you know, talking to her. And that was great. That'll be on Thursday. Michael McKean will be here in just a few minutes. I just got back from uh, from Denver, Colorado, uh, the drunkest place on the planet. Denver uh, rivals only Glasgow in its downtown drunkenness. I was in Denver for two days and I saw no less than uh, uh, two or three drunken couple fights on the street, not physical, but just You know, couples yelling at each other about bullshit, which is usually what it is. I saw no less than two shirtless men screaming uh, things at nobody in particular, non sequiturs. And I saw a lot of hobbled women on uh, high heels that became taxing as the evening uh, went on. But I do have to say that the comedy works in Denver is really one of the best comedy clubs uh, in the country. I'll tell you, man, no matter where you're at. I would go out of my way to not go to corporate comedy clubs, if possible. You know, go to go to smaller rooms that kind of really exemplify, you know, where comedy comes from and what, what real club comedy is. I tell you that Comedy Works is really the fucking best. I mean, they're sitting on the best comedy club in the world there. And, and, and granted, look, I have been doing some small theaters. I'm not bragging. I enjoy doing small theaters. I'm not a, a massive theater act. I'm still a, a, i am still aai guess you would call a boutique act. Would that be the word to use? I have fans. You know who you are. You're probably listening to this and you come out and see me. But they're not millions of you. And I think we should keep those other people out. I mean, you know, if, if they don't want in, fuck them. It's just us. I like it when a show, when something happens in a show that will never happen again. No matter how embarrassing. And the problem, and it's not a problem. It's part of the job when you do, uh, you know, stand-up comedy clubs as opposed to theaters filled with people that only want to see you, is you deal with people who have no idea who you are. Yeah, you deal with people that uh, you're not even sure why the fuck they're at the place. One show, late night, late show Friday, bachelor party showed up, which is An anomaly. An anomaly. Generally, bachelorette parties come and destroy the evening. That night, it was a bachelor party, and it's weird, man, because I can can be sitting backstage listening to, to Troy Walker, my opener, do his show, and I can tell, man, I can tell the sound of an audience from the backstage area. Like the first show Friday was sweet. You could hear them. They were just talking pleasantly. You take a peek through the curtain. Look like nice grown up people. And then the second show, I'm just listening. Like the conversation's louder. You can hear the fucking alcohol in the chatter before the show. And I knew it. And usually I think I can pick it out. And sure enough, there were some dudes. I heard a lot of this before the show even started. Yeah. Yeah. A little of that going on. Never a good sign. So I started to put my armor on after doing a first show where it was all off, a lot of uh, a lot of open, you know, straight up raw comedy. And then the second show, I'm like, all right, I guess I got to put it, got to got to put the helmet on, get the shield out. Where's my fucking sword? I'm going into a small battle arena. Now, the thing was, is they were just drunk and they were a bachelor party. They were in the wrong place. I don't have a vagina. I don't have fake boobs. I don't do lap dances. I can't pretend to like them. This is not my job. Bachelor parties are not my job, but they are a comedy club audience. And that was my job. Now, the problem with this situation is, you know, I have a lot of fans in the room and they want to see a Mark Maron show. They don't necessarily want to see uh, Mark Maron, uh, you know, man babysitting. Man babysitting drunk in neediness. I mean, put a fucking lid on it. Go to a strip club. you know, be a goddamn dude. So like I dealt with them because you could not deal with them. The room's too intimate. and even if they were if they were just grumbling or talking loudly, it's gonna distract. So I had to lock in and try to give them the attention they needed. You know, it, you know I just had to serve their dumb drunk needs. I don't I don't think I had to do what I ended up doing, but it was certainly funny coming from me. I think I feel a little ashamed of it, but I did uh, I did show him my tits, showed him my tits, uh, did a little dance, tweak my nipples a little bit, uh, turned around, you know, and sort of bumped my ass up and down. Did a little pole dance on the mic, on the mic stand uh, all the way down to the ground and uh, threw my feet in the air, then got back up and, uh, you know, and that was that. I'm not sure it was the one they were looking for. And I think that that's why I can accept it as not just pandering, but being comedy that I don't think that was the strip show that they were anticipating. So I completely uh, was able to perform an ironic strip show, though though they did see my tits. But so did everybody else. And and I don't think uh, everybody was expecting that. They were kind of bothersome for the rest of the show. And it was just a it was a management situation. My management doing this, but you know, sometimes in those situations you get the best, you know, when you have a license to be abusive to audience members for being just kind of drunky douchebags, I am able to dump a lot of my week's anger out in an appropriate way. I've grown to appreciate anger. I know I have an anger problem, but sometimes I think like, well, you know, anger makes things simple, whether you're sad or frustrated or disappointed or hopeless or whatever those feelings are under the anger, sometimes you don't want to deal with them. Sometimes you don't want to talk about them. Sometimes fuck you is enough. And I don't think that's a uh, I don't think that's bad in some situations as long as you're not hurting anybody. And that's also arguable, you could talk to my fiance. So, progress being made. At least I'm thinking about it, right? What else did I do? Then I wandered around uh, Denver with my bag of records. And I remembered somebody told me there was a Rothko exhibition at the uh, Art Museum event, Denver, the Denver Art Museum. So I walked me and my my sad bag of records. That was the other thing. There was, a, there was this moment in the record store where there was just some old dude, long gray hair, probably a few years older than me, that was just buying a couple records and then chose to sort of corner the, you know, sort of punk rock chick behind the counter with, you know, you know, his talk about the old days, about seeing whatever band of the record he was going to buy. And it was just one of those moments where I realized like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm kindred spirits with that guy. And, uh, I got to fucking check myself sometimes before I start babbling sadly about past concerts to young people. So, uh, that was that lesson. So I go over there to the Denver art museum to see the Rothko's. And then I find out it's the, uh, early Rothko. It's Rothko in transition. God damn it. It was beautiful to see those, two canvases where he just left the fucking planet and I was excited to have this exciting experience looking at art I have to force myself to go look at art and I've talked about this before and I'll talk about it again force yourself to go go reckon with the canvases stand in front of it don't be a bully don't sit there and dismiss things because that's what happened I was moved and I haven't been that moved lately by the right kind of things i.e. a lot of anger lately over nothing just over my heart just wrestling with the uh wrestling with trauma wrestling with trauma people say everything's going good for you fine what do you got to complain about well i still have the same brain i still have the same heart come on man so i got my record bag and i'm like damn it man do i got a pen i got a pen and i sit down after i it was quite honestly after i went and looked at this guy nick cave sculptures So you sculptors who were offended by my condescension during the David Sedaris episode, I'm back. I'm back on board because that guy, Nick Cave, he did some sort of weird, almost costume-like human sculptures, sculptures that you could wear that were fucking mind-blowing mind-blowing and I went into a little theater to see the things in action because there were some performances and you start to realize like wow art is so specific and so insulated in terms of where people can actually see it you have to go seek it out and it's so fragile it's so fragile in a way and I was overwhelmed with this idea that people would come in here and mock this stuff because it is important it is pro provocative it does take you places yet you, how do you go find it you got to go look for it so I'm possessed with the spirit of writing Writing Something down and I got a record bag and I got a pen and this is what's on the record bag. This is what I wrote down after looking at Mark Rothko's early paintings and after watching these films that engaged the these Nick Cave sculptures. I wrote the courage it takes to commit to a unique vision that requires follow through and construction and exploration is profound in and of itself. The fact that it can be condescended quickly and dismissed by minds who demand context is sad. Being dragged down to their context, which is rarely theirs, it is culturally assumed lazy. That's what I wrote down on a record bag. So apparently, and I write like this sometimes... But I think there is an ongoing unfinished term paper in my head that comes out in fragments at museums and in moments of uh, me trying to understand things in an intellectual way. I just wanted to share that with you. And now, my friends, it is time to go now to my conversation with the uh, the amazing, talented, funny and uh, you know just one of the, the great comedic talents ever. Michael McKeon. Michael McKean. Mark Marin, Yeah. I, saying each other's names. So I, ra- ra- I rarely do there. that kind of setup, but we can set it, And I feel bad because we're having a lovely conversation about Norm MacDonald. Yes, we were. And how uh, you just don't know a guy is well, really what it comes down to. Like I said, his, uh, he always seemed to be have a, a couple of inches of separation. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, even though he was very friendly and a lovely guy. Yeah. Um, uh, but there, obviously, from your show, there was a, a lot going on that you don't know about. I, well, he was gambling thing. Oh yeah. Well, I kind of knew about that stuff. But he was one of those guys where I make assumptions, and this is what happens a lot. But in in what I do is that you make assumptions about about people from their pu- public personality. Right. Like I know that guy kinda, and I was nervous. I, I didn't know whether he would be able to talk like yeah. a person. Yeah. Uh, but but then all of a sudden it was like this whole thing opens up, and I'm like, oh my god! Mm-hmm. I mean, I literally walked out of here thinking like, I, we got to put this up now. Like yeah. there was an urgency. That people know Norm MacDonald yeah. in the yeah. way that they haven't before. Well, I was, Norm was, uh, I was at, at SNL for a key moment when yeah. uh, there was a guy named Ian Maxtone Graham. Still, right. Still is. Yeah. As far as I know, he's a writer on The Simpsons, right. but he was a writer at SNL yeah. that time. And he was always after um, Norm to not smoke in the places you're not supposed to smoke, which was everywhere except for one little room. Right. But Norm didn't care. He liked smoking cigarettes and he's yeah. walking around. And so Ian just kept, you know, just getting after him. So one day Ian came back from a run and he's in his sweats or his shorts or something. Yeah. And uh, Norm's got a cigarette going. Yeah. And Ian takes his water bottle yeah. that he'd been carrying with him. Right. And just gave him a shot in the face, basically, to, to put the cigarette out, but sure. also to humiliate. Sure, know? And so Norm did something you don't see in, in a grown-up office setting too much. Yeah. But Norm gave him a good pop i mean he really <laughs> nailed them and it was gonna get really in, good in the head yeah uh, uh, yeah i think so yeah i think like, so he's Fred right the kisser yeah he's a scrapper huh uh, well it was pretty fast uh-huh <laughs> you know, yeah those, yeah those scottish people man yeah they're, they're always a couple of beers away from you know yeah it's somewhere in there even yeah. if it's a, a few generations back it's, it's right there <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. It's just programmed to light up so it didn't go anywhere farley actually kind of stepped in as Farley could step in, right, sure. was like a van Wait backing a in. Wait yeah. up! What's happening? Yeah, yeah. And you know, it didn't go anywhere, but it was really kind of fun <laughs> wow. to see a little scrap like that where it didn't get bad, you right, know, right. Because I don't like to see that. But. Well, it's it's, it's kind of that's another dimension of a person that you don't you don't always know about. Like I'm yeah. not I'm not a fighter guy. No, I've never no. I've never punched a guy in the head. Have you? No. Uh, yeah. When I was 15. I kind of accidentally on purpose got into a fight with an old friend, a guy I'd known since I was seven. Yeah. And for some reason, we wound up on opposite sides of something, and uh, so I really kind of promoted this fight. I was thinking, I'm 15, it's about time I had a fight. And he fucking, you know, well, it didn't work out <laughs> well for me. I did the thing where yeah. I'm, I'm going to stand up there, and I'm going to throw punches like I right. do in cowboy movies. Right, right. And- and, and, and he ran in and he butted me in the stomach
1: and, oh, really? and I
0: didn't breathe for, you know, the next couple of days. So he actually,
1: he, uh, he won the
0: fight at that moment, but I kind of stood there and yeah. kind of swear, I can't breathe. I'm just, and I, man, I guess I'm not, I'm but that, but that's, not do w- this. That's one of those moves where you have to, it doesn't sound like either you really knew how to fight no. and you had, you were modeling yourself on right. something and he was just sort of like, ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Where'd you grow up? Long Island. Really? Seacliff, Long Island. Where on is On the that- North shore. Oh, okay. It's about twenty-six miles from uh, Penn Station. So you grew up going to New York. Yeah. Like what? What years are we talking about? Like what? You're older than me, so you're like a real sixty-one, sixty-two. I started going. I, you know, I was born in New York City. My parents moved out to uh, the island. Yeah. Uh, to Hicksville, and I was there for three Hicksville, years. Right. Which is yeah where uh Billy Joel is from. That's their claim. Do you hang out, you and Billy? <laughs> no, never met yeah. him. But we 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 were in the same town when we were babies. Uh huh. And also, uh we were in the hospital one day at the same time. Really? Yeah. Recently, or no? 1979 1979. Oh, but why? I had pericarditis. What is that? Pericarditis is is a virus that attacks that sac that your heart is in. Oh my That's god. That's called the pericardium. Yeah. And it feels like I was 28 or 9 or something. And it feels like the devil has reached into your heart and has gone. This is mine. Holding it. I'm taking this. Oh God, if you don't mind. It's, it's horrendous. Really, it's crazy. And you think, well, great. Okay, I'm, I'm 29. Dying. I'm going to die. Yeah. So my father, I was visiting yeah. in Long Island. Yeah. I had a you know wife, yeah. wife and a son at this time, and uh, so my father drove me to the Glen Cove Hospital or Hicks, uh, wherever it was, North Shore Hospital of some yeah. kind or another. Right. And i was a little bit famous from tv so yeah. you know the nurses came from, down from and said, lenny and from Twiggy. And Twiggy, yeah. yeah so uh the nurses came out you know billy joel is here too <laughs> <It's> really <laughs> what's up with it? he's having he had an operation in his eye or something like that <laughs> i thought well that's cool we meet, so we don't meet again did you go to a celebrity suite of any kind did they <laughs> sit down no and, no i had a private room he probably did yeah, too you could talk uh, you could talk uh shirley billy, you could talk the piano billy. man when you were in the herd, I was working for the rich kids. I worked their lights at Ungano's. This is all true, by the way. Really? Yeah. What is the herd was his first the band? The herd, yes. was a band. And uh, my brother in law's band, the, the Rich Kids. Yeah. He, my brother in law was a bass player. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh huh. And. Were you guys rich kids? N- uh, well, um, they went to good schools. Denny Baleen, who was the lead singer, uh, was Perry Como's nephew. That was like kind of. Wow, he was connected at that time. He was so way connected. And uh, uh, yeah. But it was, they were in the wake of the the Rascals having this huge hit. And the Rascals early on dressed like. Good Love? Yeah. Good Love. Yeah. They dressed like our gang. They had short pants and like things. Sure. And they got rid of that pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. But in the wake of that, uh, bands would try and do kind of gimmicky things like that. Yeah. And my uh, brother-in-law's band were the rich kids, and Uh they they had like little Lord Fauntleroy outfits. Oh, my God. Shorts. Shorts, long socks. I mean, it was like, it was a gay fantasy. They just didn't know it. They were, you know, four straight guys from Long (laughs) Island. So, uh, yeah. And so they played a a couple of gigs at Ungano's, which was a club uptown up in the 70s, I Uh think. And I worked the lights. And by that, I mean there were two light switches, just like we have sure. in this room. Red, row. white, red. <laughs> no, no, just, just on and, and off. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And that was when they would do, Do You Feel It? Which was their big, yeah, big, yeah, yeah. big finish. I would, Do You Feel It? Flash, 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 flash. That was my day. <laughs> that was the effect? Yeah. <laughs> and the herd was on that bill? Uh, no, but they came in to see the rich kids. and I Really? And, yes. And they I actually... I clocked him. I don't think I said hello because I was just the light man. But but, <laughs> but were they a popular band? Was it they a... played the same clubs? They played uh, the Cheetah. So it was the circuit. Okay. The, well, in New York. In I don't what, know where so this else it was. They what played. the mid '60s? This was '66. Wow. And now, Young Billy point. Joel. Was uh, in there young Billy Joel, yeah, but well, there that's... were other long Island bands, the vagrants uh-huh. who, uh, Leslie West came out of there and yeah, Leslie West and he plays one of these he plays one of those uh Les Paul juniors there, I think he Oh, plays does a... he yeah, he's got that big old meaty sound, yeah, 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 the chunky sound chunky sound for yeah. chunky, chunky man chunky man, yeah, so that was your first thing though music was it, right well, no, not necessarily I was going i was uh I had gone to uh to Carnegie oh so you weren't in bands you weren't no i was you know in in high school and then and then in college too and between college between my two college experiences where'd you go to undergrad uh well i went to i had one year at carnegie tech as it was then known this was before the Mellon money in pittsburgh in pittsburgh yeah and that didn't work out i just you know not, really, not ready to be away and wake, yeah. getting myself awake in the morning and things like that. Oh, really? Not, were, yeah. not staying up, you know, past five. So you were, shit like that. You, so. you, uh, you need, required more parenting. I really did. Well, my mother <laughs> okay. used to get me up for school yeah. because I I had insomnia as yeah, I still yeah. do. And, uh, you do? Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, but my mom would come in mm. with a ice-cold, wet washcloth and yeah. put it over my face. That was, <laughs> it was what like, it took. You're not sleeping anymore. Because yeah. when yeah. you got that... She waterboarded you. She, she <laughs> totally waterboarded <laughs> you. And, Pouring a pitcher of water so you yeah. felt a drowning yeah, yeah. sensation. Mm. Time for school. Everything makes sense now in, the, in that <laughs> yeah. respect. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. So I didn't do well at, at college. But right. I met people that... I met David Lander there, mm-hmm. where, who was... Uh, Squiggy. Squiggy, yeah, we actually created those characters there. Um, George Gurdy's, Loudon Wainwright. These are people who have been friends of mine for a long time. And Loudon Wainwright was—he's—you you guys are in the same generation, Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and he was at Carnegie, yes. And he became quite, you know, quite a, a popular sardonic folk Absolutely. singer. He's a great songwriter. Yeah, a seriously, great songwriter. Yeah, man. and that so that was the crew. At Carnegie in yeah, what? Yeah, David Lander, and yeah. and uh, 60, what are we talking? 65, 65, 66. And that was your first real experience with performing comedy? I'd done a little bit of it, you know, in, in high school, because I, I was into, uh, you know, uh, Second City stuff, the rare recordings that we heard of Second City. Where'd you City? find that stuff? There was an LP, which had uh, a great scene with Barbara uh, Barbara Harris and Alan Arkin. Where he's this folk singer and she's this very pretentious society lady. And it was just just gold, you know. Alan Arkin. Now, yeah. People, I, I didn't like, see, I don't even know that I fully knew that he was in Second City, that he was a comedic performer. Uh, he was a guy. He was, he was the star of that company. Really? Of the first company that did anything outside of Chicago, which was pretty much the original company. Uh-huh. Uh, they kind of evolved from another thing called Compass Players. Well I knew so, about them because yeah. I interviewed Shelly Berman. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you know he's got stories of Mike Nichols, Elaine May. And, yeah. And I and I think wasn't Ed Asner involved in the Compass Players at some point or maybe early he might Second have been. City. He might have been. What so that was you, you were not necessarily you were always compelled towards sketch. Yeah, I think so. And but also uh, I was a big fan of um well I I, I loved silent comedy and i loved uh, laurel and hardy and and people like that right and uh there was something about the nature of live theater because did a lot of plays in high school right and reviews and right. stuff and played with bands and everything there's something about the nature of live performing that i thought was really cool right and i saw a guy named stanley holloway who is mainly known uh, for playing liza's father in my fair lady okay he's a great english music hall performer right you know in his later life yeah his, sixties, I guess. Yeah. Became a star in in, in the movies. That's always a good a story to hear, isn't it? It is. It is. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've still got time. How about this one? Yeah. Boris Karloff didn't play the Frankenstein Monster until he was forty nine years old. Wow. That was the beginning of his career. That was his breakout. That was his yeah <laughs> that was <laughs> 49, his big yeah. forty nine Frankenstein. Yeah. Anyway. So you do that too? Do you make note of people? I, we, do, I, I used to more than I do like, now. Like, you know, there's still time. Yeah. Like, like for me, it was like, uh, you know, you start out with your generation. Yeah. And then you see them sort of rise and you're like, oh, I got to find somebody. And then it always becomes Rodney Dangerfield. Really didn't surface <laughs> no. until he was in his late 60s. Yeah, yeah. But stand-up wasn't a thing for you. You know, not really. I, I just, uh, I did a little bit of stand-up when I was, uh, when I first got to LA and uh, when I was about 75, uh, kind of before. That's when th- you came out? I came out in nineteen seventy, actually, um, to work on the credibility gap. Now, I, the credibility gap was like uh, there were. I thought that was a Bay Area thing. That was an no, LA thing. No, it was LA because uh, that wasn't Fred Willard's thing. No, Fred was up in the Bay Area doing uh, Fred. Was what, with, uh, well, he was with Second City, right? And, and then, but they had a there was a there was. I, oh, I'm thinking about New York. There was this weird competitive sketch group thing. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm drifting on the name, but well, the credit was Ace Trucking Company. Right, that's it. Ace yeah. Trucking Company. They may have been partly based in the in the yeah, that was George Memoly, Billy Saluga, who yeah. later became sort of famous for mm-hmm. you 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 don't have to call me Johnson. you can call me Ray. you can oh, get that guy <laughs> that guy, yeah, 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 and Memoly was uh, an amazing character, he but was there was great. a but these but the credibility gap, who was in that Harry Shearer, right, uh, David L. Lander, yeah, uh, who became squiggy, and yeah. my my pal, and um a guy named Richard Beebe, uh-huh. And it, there had been a different personnel, and then there was a big fight, and uh, and so they, Harry, the, the the name Credibility Gap was owned by the KRLA News Department, uh-huh. the head of which was Richard Beebe, uh-huh. who was also kind of a great straight man and a, a news very, guy. very funny guy, yeah, but you know also a good actor. He'd been to Pasadena, yeah. the Pasadena Playhouse yeah. classes and everything. He was, he was He was legit. And so, yeah, we did sketches on the radio. Uh, it, had, it was going for about two years by the time I got there because another another person had fallen out, and so David Lander, who I know from college, called me and said, "Come on." Was it mostly political stuff? Yeah, yeah, because Harry remains, uh, you know, very politically, you know, motivated, and and most of his satire is around that. Yeah. Other than like, because most people know him from the movies, which are not really political, but I mean, no. his bread and butter. I mean, his thing, <laughs> the, bre- the bread and butter. He doesn't get paid for. Yeah, exactly. Is his radio work. Is his yeah. radio work well he's he's that guy i mean yeah he, he's he's been on the radio since he was seven years old yeah and that's you know now when when you left new long island i mean what what were your parents i mean was this a thing that they were supportive of oh I mean, yeah because you yeah. seem like a very well adjusted person you know like you don't seem like no one no i can't imagine anyone going michael mckeen's a fucking ass <laughs> oh no there are people who think i'm an <laughs> really? asshole. really i hope so <laughs> you want to make that impact out there yeah 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 no there are be if i whenever i criticize somebody on the right on yeah. twitter sure. well yeah, i, I find know. out that there are people who think i'm an asshole well, of course i mean uh, politically <laughs> but, but those people are assholes but that doesn't count i mean you gotta you're, no, you're a good I guy right well, I, I i try not to fuck anybody too bad <laughs> <laughs> or badly so you when when the credibility gaps out here you get you come out how old are you then like uh, 22 so you so that was really you were like fuck it i'm going I mean, was you was young well i had you finished carnegie or i don't know no. no i did one year there yeah and i was a year off and i played with a band uh what band was that it was a band they 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 had had a couple of hits they were called the left bank right they had a couple of hits walk away renee and pretty ballerina walk and, away renee is a big song yeah, big song and but then everybody nobody was speaking and the band kind of fell apart but someone had the name someone had the name Mike right. Mike Brown, who yeah. was the main composer right and keyboard player yeah. and uh, his father, Harry Lukovski, aka hash Brown, yeah, as in hash Brown and his orchestra. yeah um, they they kind of owned the, the you know the, the entity. yeah. and so they put together a new band and I was the guitar player and my friend Warren David, who had been the original drummer but wasn't very good, they brought him back, right. He's the guy who got me into the band and a singer named Bert Summer. Okay. And who played bass. And uh, so we kind of rehearsed for about three months and got our pictures taken, got new clothes, got yeah. new instruments and everything. Sure. It was, oh my God, my what, life what is was really What was the guitar? Beginning. Do you remember the guitar? Oh man, Vox. Okay. The Vox. Vox. The Vox, the teardrop? No, no, no. no. This was, they had really gotten crappy. Oh was, really? Like, somebody took over. I don't know. Sure, sure, sure. This sure. is all very, yeah. you're dragging this out of me. i I haven't sorry. thought about this for years. I haven't thought about that guitar. But anyway, he, Mike Brown and his dad got in yeah. a huge fight and yeah. it was like, Party's over. We're not going to do this anymore. Right. In the interim, we released a single, and when I say we, I had nothing to do with it. It didn't write it. Didn't yeah, play yeah. on it. Yeah. You know. But if it had been a hit, we would have gone out in support of it. So we, I grabbed the the best of the guitars, which yeah. was the Gibson. Yeah. And uh, took all my nice, pretty new clothes, and I went back to school. I went to NYU for two years and studied what acting. Okay. Yeah. So it was always a, the, the so you have the a, deal a brief rock and roll you had a moment where you at least yeah. got a, you know, outfitted you were I, outfitted and got out i did and i and i got a chance to kind of be in that movie you know where you're a young guy who doesn't play guitar very well right who is in a in a band and he you know and right. I, a pressure on me to get better i wrote one song that they liked and yeah. we we're gonna do that too you know and we were, it all fell apart it before, all they all went away yeah before anything happened yeah before it was anything a happened. gift It was a gift. It really was. It was kind of like, you know, remember when Bob Dylan had this terrible automobile, this motorcycle motorcycle accident, broke his neck. And then, you know, eight months or a year later, he started coming back again. And David Lander said, you know, he kind of did the James Dean thing right. We had his death already. (laughs) And now he came back. I was making new stuff.
1: He didn't die. Yeah,
0: yeah. So So it was like, it was kind of like that kind of experience. And my father was in the record business, so most of his that life. Yeah, yeah. Doing what? He was uh, mainly in what you call editorial services. Uh-huh. So liner notes, press releases, uh, he would interview people. So he you know, wasn't from... an A&R guy, didn't he? No, Come... no, not really, no. What company was he with? Um, first with DECA, before I had any memory of, of it. You That's know. a big one. Big one, and then Columbia for uh-huh. a good chunk of time, and then RCA Victor, which was great because we got deals on like color televisions. And oh, that's stuff great. Yeah. A color television. And so he uh, worked in the city? He worked in the city. Yeah. I took the train every day from Glen Head Station. Put his tie on, that whole business? Yes, or? he did. And he came home and took it off. Yeah. And had a picture of martinis. Yeah. And said, this <laughs> is done. the life. This yeah. is it. So, but at NYU, did you, were you there with people that I would know now or? yeah i always I mean, like hearing that tom I, leopold you know tom leopold i do know that name yeah he's he's been a writer on on seinfeld and cheers and okay. he's a novelist and he's a great great guy and old friend uh him christopher guest you might have heard of sure he was at NYU with yeah you. so you guys yeah. go back that far you go back to 1970 or yeah, something yeah it was for the first week at school and um he had his guitar case with him and i said uh hey boy yeah hey other 19 year old boy can i see your guitar (laughs) and he showed it to me and it was the red version of the one that i had okay i got that same thing and he said who do you like who do you like to listen to and i said well you know i'm I'm really into this uh, electric flag album Uh he says you know they're playing it, uh tonight Uh and i said yeah i know i'm going so we actually it was the same you know very much the same area so your dream was to be a music guy i you know i'd go i'd I'd go either way really on it, but I really thought, oh, here's what I thought my life was going to be. I would come home from Pittsburgh or wherever, yeah. and eventually I would be a guy who lived in my house on Long Island, and I'd take the train, and I'd work on the stage in New York because that's what I wanted to wait, do. Wait, lived in your parents' house? Well, the yes. Well, maybe. <laughs> I really like Seacliff I really like the town. I still do. It. It was your dream to keep your old room. I just wanted to keep my room. Original- no, 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 no. I have their room now. They're gone. Yeah.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. So you and just the get room. the house. Yeah, all right. Yeah, exactly.
0: But uh, I, I, of course, didn't foresee that. Uh, I, I don't. I just had a vague idea that I wouldn't have to live in New York City, but I would work there. Right. You know, I would do like my dad. I would commute. Right. Which is totally impractical. Right. If you're a, a, you know. But you loved act- your hometown, I guess. I did, and I, uh, I you know, I, I wanted to be a, an actor on the stage. I didn't think I'd ever be right for, for anything else. I just that's what I wanted to do. So how did how did you decide to to move to Los Angeles? Well, uh, David Lander called me, and yeah. he had just gotten married, and he was wor- to working on this show, and he was getting is paid. He, like, is he still around? Yes, he is. Okay. He said, you know, suffers from uh, multiple sclerosis oh, uh, right. for years and years, and, uh, you know, he's he's dealing with that, mainly, uh-huh. but he does voiceover work and stuff, and uh-huh. he's an amazing human being, and one of the funniest men who ever lived, yeah. who ever drew back. And um, <laughs> being with David in college, when yeah. we were both teenagers, was yeah. like- he was kind of it was that always on thing yeah, yeah. but not the irritating kind oh right right it was always he would shift downshift into kind of an interview show mode with yeah. you sometimes uh-huh. and other times he would you know be just a guy who could do 10 minutes of completely extemporaneous cornball brilliant comedy uh-huh. stuff just you know that. and was- he talked like a regular person <laughs> yeah, more or less. <laughs> more or less. Because, yeah. you know, with, in, in my mind, because I grew up with uh, Laverne Gay, and, yeah. and, you know, like there was a, the whole gimmick was like a very extreme type of delivery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we discovered very early on when we were, like like I say, 18, that we each of us knew at, a couple of guys who had the same kind of like twang? Uh-huh. Right? They, they, they couldn't quite be bothered with McDonald. No. So they just started kind of mirroring each other. And we were physically so different yeah. that it was like, well, they're from another planet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it, was that the original context? No. Well, the original context was just the two dumbest guys you knew in high school. Okay. They were so dumb that not even the other dumb kids would hang around with them. And so they would, yeah. they kind of developed this world uh-huh. you know, around them. Uh huh. And then, and then, so he calls you up. He calls me. And he says, "Look, uh, you know, the, there's a guy who's, uh, uh, you know, we, we the, the, the group used to be this. The credibility gap used to be this. Lou Irwin and, uh, um, I'm not going all the names, but yeah. uh, Len Chandler, who was a singer-songwriter, and uh, some other guys who I don't really remember. I don't yeah. I never met them, uh, and they're all leaving now. And there's this guy Bob Goodwin, and and he he kind of we kind of think he's leaving too." would you come and be the fourth guy like on a semi-regular basis? And I, I just made some, about $800, mm. which was a shocking amount of money. Sure. Uh, in, for me, anyway. And, and uh, I had just been doing, uh, re- recording some kids songs for, you know, kids records. And, in uh, New York? Nursery Rhymes, yeah. And, How'd you get that gig? Uh, you know what? Through uh, a guy named John McClure, who was one of my dad's friends. Yeah. Who was the head of, classical and special products at Columbia. And uh-huh. he said, you, you know, you, you can't want to compl- sing? Yeah. 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 And it was just singing, yeah. just doing these things. So I did that. And it was like 800 bucks. And I went, I said, you know what I'll do? I'll go out there. I'll stay for a couple of weeks. Maybe I'll do this show a couple of times. Right. And also, I'll see this girl that I, that, you know, sure. got involved with, uh, you know, in Connecticut. Yeah. And uh, she's in L.A. now. Or? She's in L.A. She lives in Orange County. So uh-huh. I, you know, I'll go. Uh, yeah, for sure. Two Why three not? weeks. You know. You're 21. Why yeah. not? Yeah. And I went there. It was it was 11 degrees when I left uh, in February in New York, and mm-hmm. I got here, and it was you know 68. Yeah. And David's wife, her, his then wife Taya, picks yeah. me up at the airport. Sticks a lit joint in my kisser, and uh, I say, "Eh, "Stay here. I'll I'll stay here for forty-three years, (laughs) and I'm still waiting to hear the other end of that sentence." (laughs) That's beautiful. But your dad being in the music business must have been somewhat like uh, thrilled. Well, he 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 was very much responsible for me, uh, you know, being exposed to a lot of the music I was exposed to. Although the stuff your dad likes is not necessarily the stuff that you like right away. He was a huge jazz. fan and aficionado he used to write for Downbeat and and these magazines reviewing jazz okay and uh, so that was my dad's music yeah and I didn't get it but he got the business I mean like he wasn't like sort of like why would you throw your life away I mean you know no he he knew that but but he also knew the pitfalls sure and he Later on, when he was at Columbia, yeah. the second time at Columbia, right after Victor, he was in the music business, uh, in the uh, advertising business. Then he went back to music business. And he was with Columbia for you know a good chunk of time, and he really had to deal one on one with a lot of artists who were b- coming up and you know, uh-huh. getting big, and some of them made him insane, yeah, because they were so, so gimme gimme and so kind of what about my needs and uh and stuff and it was and just, he had a deal with his hands-on well some j- of it. like jazz artists or were they no wrong? not so much jazz yeah. artists uh-huh. you know, he, he interviewed uh, monk several times but well, that must be challenging and, just, to, you, just well, to yeah, kind of but put he really things together. he just was so fascinated by uh-huh. it you know he just thought it was a great kind of found object you know uh-huh. and loved his music uh-huh. and if you have the old vinyl of uh, a, a, a monk album called underground you can read my father's liner notes. Okay. They're, they're really funny. Okay. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I forgot why. I, oh, I, we were just talking about him being supportive of. Uh, yeah. Of the, yeah. Yeah. But, but like I say, he was, you know, my my parents said, you know, you want to be an actor. That's great. But you need something to fall back on music. <laughs> well, that was the joke. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think they meant, you know, yeah, s- yeah. teaching yeah, yeah. or something. Right. Or something sensible. Right. Like, you know, and did um, you have that? No. Oh. No. All right. So you come out here with uh, with the, to do the credibility gap, yeah. And then that's when you meet Harry. Met Harry, yes. And where's Christopher Guest in all this? How where did Chris that relationship is, go from college? Well, he stayed back in New York. Okay, and uh, he started working with the in the early seventies. He started doing the the Lampoon stuff, the Lemmings, Lemmings, uh-huh. and the radio shows, uh-huh. and uh, you know, what was the, the radio dinner the the first um, record they did, right? Which had a lot of the stuff that later wound up, I think, in in, uh, in Lemmings. Yeah. So that's kind of what he was doing. But he was also like a, a guy that was a uh, a sort of... He, he wanted to be music. And yeah. He, and he chose to yeah. work well, funny. Well, we wrote a lot of songs together. We uh-huh. were roommates for, for a year. Uh, oh, the, okay. My second year at NYU, we actually lived together. Yeah. Because uh, he was without a girlfriend and I was <laughs> without a girlfriend and without an apartment because my girlfriend had given our apartment to her dad who had just they've just got he her parents just gotten split and i just got he wins right so i went, had to yeah. find a friend to live with and right. so chris and i started writing songs together and uh, Do, uh funny songs or real songs no really kind of love songs and and uh, he seems like a pretty serious guy he can be have you seen the sh- the family tree show huh there's the 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 end there's a song that he wrote with harlan collins uh-huh. and, and cj vanston and uh It's a really great song. got Ron Sexsmith to sing it for. Oh, yeah. That's cheating, Yeah, yeah, right there to have this beautiful voice. But, um, yeah, it's really, he's,
1: yeah. So you live with him for a year, and
0: and was there a discussion? Like, I'm going to L.A. Or weren't you guys that tight? No, because after NYU, I I went back to my parents' house because I didn't know what the hell I was going to do. So I went back to my parents' house, and I kind of, you know, just hung around and drank too much and... And just kind of killed time until... uh, Oh, actually, I'd I'd gone to um, the O'Neill Theater uh, in uh, Waterford, Connecticut. I did that in the summer. And that's when I met this woman who later I went to... You know, I was going to hook up with and and eventually marry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so... um, So you get to L.A. Yeah. And how does, like, you know, how did, like, because... What what was the the path of Lenny and Squiggy? Because you you got to talk about that in the sense that that was your that was where it started. Yeah, yeah. I mean that because it, it was huge. It was like this this right. phenomenon. I mean, I remember *Laverne and Shirley*, and I remember watching it as a kid. Uh, but you know, Lenny and Squiggy became this like big thing. Well, they were in their own show. You know, and occasionally yeah. a couple of scenes a week, right. they'd walk in and let you know what was going on upstairs. How or... did you get found? I mean, did Gary Marshall find you? or Eventually. Penny Marshall um, was married to Rob Reiner. Right. And Rob was an old friend of, uh, of David's. I think they actually roomed together for a while in LA. And Rob, uh, David appeared in a, a play that Rob had written and, and they wrote together, did a couple of things for TV. And uh, then David got this gig on the on the Credibility Gap, yeah, yeah. and Rob would sometimes guest. This was before um, before All in the Family. He would sometimes guest uh, on uh, the Credibility Gap, and and um, his dad was Carl Reiner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he and eventually, you know, and then he got all in the family in seventy one or uh, seventy or seventy one. Now, when you were here, like with someone like Rob Reiner, who comes from sort of like Hollywood royalty or yeah. comedy royalty, I mean, yeah. was there those situations? Would you find yourself over at his house, or did was Albert Brooks no, around? No, I, 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 I no, I didn't, I didn't know Albert, and well, I guess I met Albert through the Credibility Gap because uh-huh. he knew all those guys. Yeah, he, he and Harry. Because I always try to picture like what the crew is like, and like it's the seventies. Yeah. You know, the sixties are sort of. Kinda of over, but the the fashion of the '60s is still kind of kind hot, of, yeah. And it's kind of rock and roll well, and I groovy. And, I wasn't really a party guy, you yeah. Know? I, I mean, I would if I found something to drink, yeah. I would I would hang, right? I would, yeah. I would hang in that end of the sure, party, sure, sure, the bar end. But uh, I, you know, I didn't really kind of run with those guys. I didn't, you know, didn't have any money. Didn't run to go to comedy clubs and stuff. Okay, you know? yeah, I would hang out at home, and I had friends and stuff. We'd <laughs> yeah, all hang yeah. out there. But, yeah. Uh, so anyway, we did these characters from yeah. the word go. David and I have been doing them since we were teens. Yeah. And uh, Rob just thought they were hilarious. Yeah. And Rob and Penny did. Right. And then Penny sold this show, you know, this show that she, that her brother created with Lowell Gans and Mark Rothman. And they had a um, a presentation short that they did. Yeah. Sold it to the network. And they had been on, on Happy, Happy days, days of those yeah, characters. Yeah. So anyway, so they, they got to go on the show, but they had no show really. You know, they yeah. had one other character. They wanted some more people, you know. So uh, Penny says, "Look, come to this party. We're gonna have a party celebrating this thing that I uh, sold the show. Come to this party, and uh, you know, maybe, maybe do the guys, you know, because the producers I, will be this, there. This bedroom, this sort of like living room performance business. Amazing. I mean, it, it happened a lot. I mean, like, I mean, like Mel Brooks and Carl exactly. Reiner used to do the two thousand year old exactly man parties. Exactly right. That's exactly right. So you're at a party. Yeah. Gary Marshall's there. Network people. No, are there. Gary wasn't there. Uh, Mark and, and Lowell were there, and." Uh, some other people who were work who were going to so be all hanging staff. out and then penny goes well you got to do the guys can... actually rob said it do uh-huh. them do the guys do, yeah. do the guys yeah do the guys yeah and we did david and i went into a thing that we'd never done before and have never done since and it was the two of them discussing uh that maybe they should go to butler school because <laughs> there's always a need for butlers <laughs> so <laughs> it was the two of us right. trying to learn how to bottle right i have no idea the content of it but we were getting laughs yeah And then Monday we went and met Gary Marshall, and he said, You
1: know,
0: we need some writers. Maybe the three of you, meaning (laughs) David and myself and Harry, could be writers on the show. Uh You can be apprentice writers. We can't pay you full, we'll pay you then. So so we did that. And of course, the idea was maybe a few shows in, we'll try and work 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 our characters in. So we wrote ourselves into the first episode, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we wrote ourselves into every episode because it, it the stuff worked, you know. Yeah. It it made people laugh. People didn't quite know what the hell it was, right? But there was something kind of, it it was kind of the bizarro Fonzie, too, right? Fonzie was the the guy who looked like that and really was cool. Mm -hmm. These two were trying for a Fonzie and didn't make cool at all. And also, you guys were both goofballs. There was no real, it wasn't, uh, the team dynamic was essentially, one was sort of like completely moronic (laughs) and the other guy was moronic but had an angle. Yes. Right? That's that's true. I used to put it this way. I used to say that Squiggy was the dumbest guy in the world and Lenny was his stooge. Yeah. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. (laughs) That's kind of what it was. So from there, I mean, that. so that got you in. I mean, you know, that was on the air for what, six, seven years? I mean, that was, uh, well, seven years, eight seasons, because the first uh-huh. season was kind of truncated. Uh-huh. And the last season was unwatchable. Uh-huh. It, it's so horrible. Because but Cindy left, and Penny was hardly in any of them. So it was the, you know. Did you experience the that sort of a the arc of heartbreak around no, that? You no, You didn't care? No, it, I I had signed a contract. I had renewed my contract for another year. Uh-huh. I knew it was going to kind of limp along for uh-huh. one more year. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I don't know how you guys handle that stuff. Oh, I, I handled it by letting other people handle it pretty much. But like, you know, like even with the, uh, you know, I've got this, sh- this small show on IFC and just mm-hmm. this sort of like the investment, I, I guess it's different, you know, cause I, you know, it's so much of my life is invested in it right. but when you're, you're sort of like doing this shtick, yeah. you know, so I, yeah. I just keep doing the shtick. Well, network TV. Right. Network TV at that time was, you know, there really were only three networks right. at that time. Right, right. Um, and you know, they were terribly worried. Everybody was always terribly worried about the show. It slipped a point. It's a half a point. Right. And the last couple of years we weren't doing well in the ratings because the A team came on and, and against us. That was and it. Pounded us. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we knew it was kind of ta- you tapering You fight off. with uh, Mr. T? No. Can- <laughs> <laughs> <I> still can't. <laughs> uh, but I, but knowing this, I went into the last season, we were trying to get this Spinal Tap thing started. We had, you know, we had worked on it for years on and off and we had this, thing that we were going to do you and christopher me and chris and, and harry, harry and rob and uh so, what do you mean you worked on it i mean so well, you were, we wrote sh- we wrote the history of the band we wrote songs we did a demo version we were at a couple of studios the studios would fall through uh-huh. or, or they'd dump us uh-huh. and, so it was like limping along right but there was a danger in 1981 yeah 80, or 82 yeah that we'd actually go with the show so uh-huh. i went into gary's office and said look whatever i don't even want any more money Give me the same money I got last year, and I'll try to do 13 shows, but there's a really good chance I'm going to sell this, we're going to sell this project, and I'm going to have to be out of here. Was it the thought was, it was a film always, or, or yeah, was it? Yeah, it was always going to be a film. It was always going to be a, a theatrical feature. And and the idea was that you would improvise. Yes. From yes. the beginning. From you were the like very beginning. If we could get into these characters and yes. give them a backstory. Right. right. So that's, that's, that's what we wanted to do um and so we all had to be kind of plugged into everything right. all the casting all right. the all the everything so um so i told this gary I said i i i'll if you could put it on paper that i will do 13 shows unless this is spinal tap gets picked up or whatever it was called it was called rock and roll nightmare at that time um what uh you know then i'm out of here so he said yeah okay and he let me do that deal yeah because he's a decent guy yeah you know? he's a character He's awesome. Yeah. He he really is. I like, never met him but not just because always... he's he gave me a couple of huge legs up in my career, but also that he really is a decent guy and I, I like him. I love much. him as an actor. He's I mean, wonderful. Like, yeah, in in uh, Albert's movie, oh, he's great. He's great. 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 Yeah. I don't get it. Well great. it'll be it'll be a thing for people to know to like about Vegas. with gambling <laughs> 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 having to point out to someone that people come to Las Vegas was, for the gambling, which so, just caused so you to good. lose your ass. Yeah. It, it was great so he supported that he gave you that deal he gave me that deal and then so i'm only in two, like four shows in that last season and i directed one uh-huh which was uh weird um, but did it give you like people do that to learn how to do that you know so yeah you, so you did that. yeah I, it's true but i the three can the three camera thing to me is not not a director's medium no you no it's and a, there are yeah. great people i mean yeah you know there are people who do that do multi-camera yeah but you wanted to try it so you tried it yeah it was all right right it was okay but it's not the kind of thing i wanted to do right yeah. all right so okay so how does how do you finally what, what happens to you know because rob is a guy you know although he's got this great comedy pedigree and, yeah. and harry is harry but i mean he was a tv actor you know for the most right. part and director yeah he, di- he directed episodes of, of shows a, of all in the family and stuff uh-huh, I okay he did some might have done some piles. so that's where he gets his chops and then like he you guys are committed to this thing i mean the spinal. Yeah how long how many years well we start really it was on a a, the first the characters were first on a tv special that was shown in 1979 it was initially going to be a pilot for a series called the tv show Uh which was kind of like sctv became Uh a a guy just kind of going through a broadcast day with a remote right and it was all kinds of tv parodied every which way so this very funny pilot and uh do you remember midnight special with wolfman jack yeah yeah vaguely yeah vaguely um, Rob playing Wolfman Jack had this band, this terrible band from England called Spinal Tap. Yeah. On. So we did one number. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of was kind of it. And then when Rob was looking to start a feature career, they thought maybe, well, let's do a parody of Give Me Shelter, which I see sure. over your shoulder there, or The Last Waltz, or a concert movie, yeah, a concert movie, or a movie about a band, a tour, yeah. thing, you know, this band on tour, right and uh so that's kind of what we were committed to do and we started immediately writing uh the history of the band uh-huh. everything uh the idea being that once the cameras are rolling we all know no you don't have to tell someone in the, who is in the band with you oh remember that guy yeah. we all knew the stuff already right so it's a really dense thing it's four or five pages of you know single space real just history. History, yeah, yeah. And we wrote some songs and we did a demo version because we didn't want to write a script. Uh They they, they hired us to write a script. Right. A studio called uh, Marble Arch, which Uh was Sir Lou Grade's um, American adventure. Okay. Which didn't work out so well. Right. Um, So they were going to do it and then they collapsed and we were kind of left with this demo tape. Yeah. You know, of of kind of an idea, 10 minutes worth of what this movie would be like. Right. So Rob shopped it around and eventually uh, it wound up at Embassy Pictures uh, which uh, Norman Lear was actually one of the co chairs of that, and so that kind of was an in for Rob. Uh-huh. And uh, we got underway very low budget, shot it here in LA for five weeks, had all the funniest people we knew in, uh-huh. you know, uh, Howard Hessman, Paul Benedict, uh-huh. was one of the funniest and greatest men I've ever known. Um, Tony Hendra, oh, Hendra, Paul Schaefer was that Paul a was fit. great. I mean, I remember being very excited to see it, and and that the you know the buzz about it was insane. And then you know, as somebody's a fan of of movies, the idea that you know the I think the word was that you know Reiner had shot sixty hours of film, probably that that in and of itself to to somebody like me. I, what year did that come out? Eighty four right so i was in college we shot at the end of 82 right and it was just sort of like 60 hours imagine how much hilarious where's yeah. the rest of it <laughs> why, why can't we see the 60 hour cut of well, spinal tap a lot of it went away because it was linked up to other stuff uh there was a whole sequence where when nigel leaves the band and mm-hmm. he throws his instruments down he leaves leaves in a huff and he's out of the band for a while and we try to do the jazz odyssey thing yeah yeah yeah. yeah. there is a scene between those two scenes yeah where um june chadwick's yeah uh, janine yeah. you know my girlfriend yeah comes up with a replacement yeah and it's this guy who's terrific i have no idea who he was yeah it's written down somewhere who he was but he's not in the film so he's not in the crawl um but he comes on he he was like we're in our late 30s at this point And he's, this guy comes in and he's, you know, 22 or something and great, just all over the stage, like Peter Frampton, you know? Yeah, 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 And he kind of, he clocks me on the head with his, uh, with the guitar thing at one point, uh, you know, as an accident. Right. But it was like just on top of everything else, he nearly killed me. (laughs) He's not only better and younger (laughs) and sexier than I am, (laughs) but he hit me on the head. Yeah. So there's that whole plot. It had to go away because there was just no time to develop it. Right. Otherwise, it's just a scene that, uh, you know. Yeah, and now, what? What? what is the other stuff that went away? I mean, that's a whole... Sec- that's the a- ass casters? Yeah. What the ass it? casters? Remember the... Did uh, you, you ever hear about the plaster casters? Yeah, These sure, sure. Who, yeah. Sure, that make cockpoo things. Yeah, things. Yeah. So this was an ask, uh, the ass casters, and it was that. a couple of girls who come in, and they had... So Harry Shearer and the keyboard player <laughs> lying face down, bare ass on a bed, yeah. and having a plaster Paris applied to their yeah. asses. Uh-huh. So that scene isn't in That's, there. Uh, that didn't no, we make spared it, you that. We're, yeah, we're, he, I can't believe he didn't do a, a reel of outtakes. <laughs> there, well, you can find the. I think you can find the two and a half hour or three or somewhere on right. that. I don't want to see that stuff. I had to sit through all that. You know, so you were there because you edited the thing. You were well, all. There. I didn't. No, Rob did most of it. Well, we all came in from time right. to time and checked out different cuts. But the choice was the choice for a reason. Do you, yeah. I mean, oh, absolutely. Do you get that feeling where it's sort of like, well, we looked at that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it might be interesting for fans, but you know, I don't. You know, but you we, know, it's like that old thing of how, how do you make a, how do you carve an elephant out of a bar of soap? You, right. You cut away everything; doesn't look like an elephant. But it's sort so of. We knew what the movie wanted to look like, and we just, you know, got rid of everything. It's, it's mainly a, Rob. It's a masterpiece. Oh, thanks and Bob Layton was the editor which, who is a genius who and does all of Chris's films now. But but w- w- this thing that you built with Chris I mean that that like now there's a signature tone yeah, to the way you guys improvise. I guess like, so. Well, yeah, I mean, they're they're like it sort of set a standard. I think it it sort of gave other people the 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 courage to to actually shoot improvisation. Like, yeah, I, it doesn't seem to me that before that, you know, you would hear about TV shows or movies where it's sort of like hey, it was all improvised. You know, there was no Larry David. There was no no you know where where actually there was enough. Uh, confidence built in the crew and yeah. and, and also within the you know, the director that you could do that yeah i mean it's I a very so. rare thing well there were films that were created improvisationally Cas- uh, Cassavetti's films but, well, they, yeah, but they they, they, were they became not scripts funny no. <laughs> <laughs> some of them are pretty funny <laughs> I mean, if peter fogg was in them they were sometimes funny right yeah but but the idea that you could sustain comedic improvising uh, yeah. through an entire film and and have faith in that was pretty amazing yeah. A lot of it was just like having Fred Willard in is always a good idea. Oh yeah. Bring you know? Fred Willard for yeah. anything. Yeah. yeah ha- exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, well, that was a, that evolved as a, uh, the crew of Chris guest movies. I mean, it seemed like Reiner did that one movie and yeah. it must've I- inspired Christopher guest. Sure. To, I mean, to say like, well, one. Chris did a couple of, did one film, uh, in traditional style called the big picture with Kevin, uh, Kevin I love that movie and you were great it's in that movie. I you. mean, it's Thanks. a great movie about show business. It is. It's a, it's a cool movie. Um, and it was it wasn't a success um but he he had spotted this thing he spotted a documentary about a guy a guy who is very much like corky if I can like corky the, the guy he plays in in Kuffman. yeah and he um he, he he it was a he was an extra in an opera company uh-huh was a guy who studied all his life to be an opera singer uh-huh. and now he's carrying a spear and he'll probably never go on as a singer right so um but it was him talking about his life and everything and chris fell in love with the guy and said i'm going to do this i want to do it about a guy in a small town that's in a theater company uh-huh. and everything so uh eventually i was uh, initially i was going to do it with him and then i got um uh, the brady bunch movie uh-huh. and i was i mean i'm not going to be available because he wanted to go up to his cabin Uh, you know, in, uh, in Idaho Uh and really just do nothing but work on this, the story. Yeah. And I said, I don't think I can do that, you know? And and so he said, Oh, okay. So he got in touch with Gene Levy, who he did not know. He was just always a big fan of, of, uh, Eugene's and, uh, just got in touch with him and said, you want to come up to my cabin and, (laughs) and write a movie? (laughs) And, uh, I don't know whether he was suspicious or not, but he went and they, Uh and they, they put Guffman together and, uh, then he wanted some songs, so I wrote some songs with him for the movie, and uh-huh. uh, and he assembled this amazing, you know, Catherine O'Hara, always a good idea. She's coming over tomorrow. Get out of here. Yeah. Please give her a big hug for me. I've been trying to get her on for months. Yeah. Because well, uh, she's like one of these unsung heroes of Can I tell you comedy. one thing that she won't tell on herself, but this what? is one of the most impressive things I've ever seen. When we were doing Best in Show- Uh-huh. There's a running thing where she keeps meeting her old boyfriends, you know, and they're all very kind of graphic in what they approach her with. Yeah. So we did this one scene where it's a meet and greet thing. And I think there were three takes of her encountering one of her old boyfriends and him, you know, starting this line of shit. And all three times her face went bright red when she saw him. Yeah. Wow. And I said, that's pretty good acting. (laughs) That is awesome awesome <laughs> yeah. and I wanted to point it out to her and I never did yeah and then I see it in the movie you can't really see it in the movie but I was standing five feet away from her and that's what happened every every take wow say so, okay it's deep pretty great yeah, yeah so with guests though you guys all like there's a, a shorthand but there's also a collaborative thing that happens yeah yeah I think so. I mean not just in the improvising but for him to reach out to you to write songs and yeah and there's also a tremendous sensitivity to you know, to to remaining empathetic and still loving these characters. I mean, that is the trickiest thing. Is that yeah. even with Spinal Tap, you know, you guys weren't clowns. You were guys no. with lives, and there was a struggle there, and yeah. there was emotion there, and it wasn't. You never get the feeling with with that movie or with other with Christopher Guest films that you're mocking these people. I don't. I don't think so. No, I think, I think that's correct. I, I and. Um, we, if we didn't love rock and roll, we couldn't have done that movie. Right. For a second. Right. And if we didn't love fools, we couldn't do that movie. Right. And that's what they are. That doesn't make them bad. You right. Know, and some they're of the not... greatest fools. But Laurel and Hardy were the greatest fools who ever lived. Neither of them were bad. Had a bad bone in their body. Right. And they're not one dimensional. Like you, right. you, there's a, a tone that you could you could have easily have. I mean, you were making fun of rock and roll, but but these guys were the sort of sympathetic guys. I guess that is the difference yeah. between a fool. Yeah, and, or, or or somebody that uh, well, even clowns are supposed to be sympathetic, but these guys had lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, and they weren't easy lives. Yeah, and they were um, they were difficult, and they made lousy choices, and yeah. they wrote lousy songs. I mean, they 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 were their poetry was so, you know, ham-handed and bad. The songs were good. Well, this, but the songs were exactly what they were supposed to be. Hopefully, yeah, right? You know, they were in a style and uh you know when you toured on that you know when you guys went back out yeah what, what was that, what was the agenda there just well, for fun in 84 you... well sure in 84 it wasn't a, an official tour we just went to places where some where the movie might have played well we did one recently though not too
1: long ago well, right well we
0: did we went on the road a serious tour in 92 uh-huh and uh, when we had a new album right. and new material and we did a special we shot it at uh, Albert Hall yeah and uh then in 2009 uh-huh. we did a couple of dates in 2000 uh-huh. 2001 and uh but uh, we toured we did 20 like 27 cities or something in two in 2009 but it was pl- kind of plain clothes it was right. unplugged and unwigged but we played so we you know it was the three of us looking like this yeah and uh, you know playing stuff were from- you in character Oh, okay. No, but we would do this. We would do the songs. We would mix right. it up. Yeah. So we do a tap song. We do a right. song from a mighty wind. We do okay. a song okay. that was right, you right. know so it was sort of right. Uh, you know, Harry did a, a kind of a one-off song about Elvis. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, you know, it was like it was just it was a mix. Right. You know, and uh, Annette, uh, my wife, uh, did uh, "Kiss at the End of the Rainbow" that we wrote for uh, Mighty Wind. We we sang that, and she sang the 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 Bible song, which uh-huh. is in the crawl of uh, uh, Mighty Wind, which is a great song that Harry and I wrote. Now, Mighty Wind, I can ha- say it's great because I wrote it. Well, no, it was amazing. So you were you were nominated for an Oscar for that <laughs> yeah. song. No, for a for, for a Kiss for, at the yeah, End. Yeah, because yeah, it was a beautiful song. Is it be- well, that, well, that was the other thing about that movie too. In the same way, oh yeah, is that it, with with Guffman, which you weren't a, a, a part of on that level, but but even uh, you know with and a Mighty Wind that. You know, you were mocking something, but but you it was embracing it simultaneously because you because you were rooting for them, right? You know, Eugene's character in uh, in Mighty Wind. Yeah, it's like that's one of the saddest people I've ever seen. Yeah, you know, and you really just, oh shit, man! I mean, just you got to get some help. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. You know? Yeah, right. I'm sure you've tried pretty much everything, but you got to get some help. And you kind of rooted for him, but you didn't want him to get any better because he was so hilarious as a sure as a train wreck. Sure. So he know? just kind of uh, the success of the character was he was able to take the stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, when you guys put that together, what was the uh, how did you how did you structure the improvising and how did you how much of the story were you part of? Oh well, same way. It was you know when I have a bigger part like that in in one of Chris's movies, we were kind of plugged in all the time, and I did work on all you know a lot of the music. Um, writing with Annette and CJ and Chris and Gene and you know everybody. Right. I'm, I was the town bike. we right. Used to say yeah. Um which I I, I love. Um, and so yeah, we were there a lot, and uh, you know just worked on the music every day and just really kind of kept, right. kept it good. Yeah. Um, and structured our story, the yeah. Folksman right. branch of that. Right. I had nothing right. to do with the you know with Eugene and and Catherine's story. Right. That was other people and. And like that, you know, it was so there was a, di- a, a division of labor which yeah. was very clear. Like how, like when when we say that it's improvised, I mean, how how does it? How many takes do you do? I mean, w- w- you, you you improvise and say like, well, that worked. Let's let's stick along those lines and then yeah, go again. Kind of, and then Chris will will make a suggestion or one of us will make a suggestion about you know what could have gone you know where we could have gone right and we'll try that yeah follow that yeah and meanwhile Chris is also changing camera position right so that he can get coverage on yeah. the stuff that is similar right 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 and then pick up on the stuff that's you know that's new and like Chris like I, he's a mystery to me somehow uh, you know and, and you guys are pretty I'm best friends. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, like he, like he, I know he's funny, but he seems like uh, he seems very intense. Well, he's very intellectual, right? All but for he's, real, for real, uh-huh. he's very, very intelligent. Uh, and when I say intellectual, I mean there's a certain kind of a polish to his, you know, which makes him all the funnier when he goes a little crazy, you right. know. But he's he's very, he's very even tempered for the most part. Uh-huh. Somebody he told me that somebody once talked to him about doing a play. And it was some, you know, passionate play, stage uh-huh. play, uh-huh. and he actually said to Chris, "You know, I think you can, you can do the funny and the caring thing, but I'm not sure you can do the yelling. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm not going to offer you this part." <laughs> he said, yeah, "That's kind of sums me up." But and- it's just in, it's in his character. He's very quiet, and he and he seems. Kind of uh, withdrawn. It's not really withdrawn. He's just kind of that's who he is. Right. But um, you know, I've known him for forty-five years, and he's uh, this awesome guy. And you know, and he's uh, there's a joke that I that he did. Yeah. One time. Yeah. There are two. Let me tell you two Chris Guest things, yeah. things that he did to okay. me. Okay. One was he gave me a book, uh, the the biography of John Gielgud. Okay. Yeah, Probably sure. the most famous Shakespearean actor. <laughs> Gives me this book, the you know John Gielgud so I open in the fly leaf he has written dear Mike this is the guy I was telling you about <laughs> <laughs> so anybody seen that book? Well, Jesus McKean's an idiot he didn't know John Young
1: <laughs>
0: so there's that right. and the other thing is whenever we were at a movie theater or something or yeah. a gig uh, when he would get up to you know he, he would sometimes have to get up in front of me And no, yeah. no, I'm telling this backwards he would occasionally let one go. He would occasionally fart. Sure, sure. But uh, immediately before doing so, he'd say, what's that sound? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> what's that sound? And then he'd let one go. And it was, yeah. you know, kind of semi-audible. It was, it was discreet. <laughs> yeah. But audible to yeah, me because yeah, yeah. he wanted to make me laugh. <laughs> he did this for about five years, <laughs> you know, a couple of times a year. It was, it was just saying always, for you. always made me laugh. Yeah. So one time we we're at a movie theater. Yeah. And he has to get up. To go to the bathroom, yeah. and he walks right in front of me. His ass is right in front of me in yeah. my face, and he says, "What's that sound?" <laughs> <laughs> and he, and he, didn't. he didn't. He didn't. He it. didn't. But he knew what would happen, and I just I laughed <laughs> real hard. Farts are always funny. They're always funny. And what about Balaban? I mean, yeah, that guy is another wizard of comedy. That that has he's sort of, really interesting, isn't he? He really is interesting, and, yeah. and I don't know that people realize how long he's been. Around. I mean, he was in the bathroom scene of Midnight Cowboy. I That's mean, right. I mean, he's been around forever. That was his his film debut was going down on John Voight. Yeah, and he found some sort of real resurgence in in the Christopher Guest movies. Like, uh, well, Chris had known him for a while. They had been in a couple, done a couple of things together. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what happened was Harry Shearer was originally supposed to play that part in Guffman, mm-hmm. and something happened. He, he was unavailable. Right, he became unavailable. And uh, so Balaban stepped in, and he was—he was kind of was a good fit, you know. He, and he was he great in the Mighty guy. Wind too. Is he was that? Really I and mean, he that. just there's just something about that guy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and but all the Second City people and Catherine O'Hara, of course. But like it, it, for your consideration, was that like that seemed to be one of the movies that wasn't as big as the other ones. Yeah. But it was really for for acting. It was, it was more heartbreaking than than any of the other yeah, ones. Like yeah. Catherine O'Hara was like, oh man, that was amazing, and the facelift thing she does. Which is no, not makeup at all. It's just her. Yeah. It's like, the first time I saw that I, yeah. on set, first, yeah. first time I saw her do that. Right. It was like Jekyll and Hyde. Wow. Because really, here's Catherine looking like she looks, and then suddenly she just pulls her face back without touching it wow. into this, this grim, this, you know, rich, yeah. creature.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah, pretty awesome. And um, But I think one reason that film didn't happen as well, because I think it's a really good movie. I do too. You know? uh, uh, it's It's interesting film i think that th- there were no times when the cam the the uh the characters talked to the camera uh-huh. we didn't do that in that one mm-hmm. except when it was uh, you know on a on a game show or a, or a you know talk show or right. any of those sequences right. there then we'd see them you know talking like that but it was to you know it wasn't to us the audience at home or in the theater uh, i think it was something that was a little bit it was it was it increased the distance a little bit uh-huh. and i think maybe people didn't just know what it was sure it's a great title it's a perfect title for that but it's not a great commercial title right all right so like i don't want to miss out on the because i i'm obsessed with the uh, lauren with, michaels let's face it yeah, yeah i know so yeah but you were there you were like are you were the you were the oldest cast member i was i was the oldest one to be hired i was really being hired because they knew that phil was leaving phil hardman was leaving right and um, so my first six shows were his last six shows. Well, how did uh, how did how did they pick you? I was doing uh, Coneheads. I had done Coneheads, oh, the movie, yeah, the movie, yeah, with you know Dan and, and so Lauren knew everybody. You. So Lauren knew me from that, and he also weirdly he was put in charge of putting somebody to, having somebody to replace Letterman, mm-hmm. and he really didn't know kind of what. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, he said, would you do me a favor and host an evening of people that I'm going to look at, that we're going to be looking at to maybe take over? So you hosted the auditions? That, that I became... kind of hosted one of the auditions at the improv. For, for the 1230 spot? Yes. Okay. And... It wasn't until I was up on the stage and just kind of fumfering around that I realized, oh shit, this could have been my shot. <laughs> you were being auditioned, but it never occurred to me because it was never not something I ever wanted to do to do something like that every night. I mean, if if he said, "My God, you're the one," I would have said, "Absolutely." Who was on that audition? I know I wasn't. No, no, you weren't. <laughs> yeah. um, I'll tell you, uh, Provenza. Uh huh. Um, um. Let me see. Who John else. Stewart. Uh, Ray. Uh, you know, Ray Romano. Ray Romano. Uh huh. Drew. Drew Carey. Carey. Uh-huh. At least one or two others. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Those are the and ones. And Lorne was in the room. Uh, at I the Hollywood. Was the r- he was Hollywood, in the room and there were, there were some other people. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And that's how that came up. But then he approached you after that and said, well, well, maybe you could. It was, you know, he just, we got along kind of well on the on that. And I think he liked having someone who was kind of close to his age uh-huh. who could talk about shit, you know, and. and uh, like what? Who had heard, Well, you know kind of old music stuff oh, okay you know? okay and I did what, what I always if I really want to impress Canadians I yeah. always throw in the names of a couple of Canadian ba- bands like, which ones well it's like you know I was listening to Ian and Sylvia so
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know that new Mandala album uh, I mean new is from 1967 uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no but uh, I had known him before because in 75 the credibility gap was hanging around those offices trying to maybe get on the show oh really yeah yeah and we, well, what do you mean hanging hanging around you well, knew somebody there i or... knew i knew chevy i knew franken and davis because uh we were we were uh me and franken and davis and david lander and um and uh john brent Severn darden uh-huh. um some other people that nobody knows about anymore john brent was one of the great geniuses and Severn, of course and um some others so and, this is uh, be- before the first like the first season you were hanging around oh yeah 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 but uh, we had been in a, a, a company together called the Pitchell Players. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Roger Bowen, who was, a, who was a very funny actor and great improviser from Second City and Compass and everything else. So it was a little company called Pitchell Players, and we were at what is now the Hollywood Improv. Okay. Um, and uh, so I knew them from there. So we would go, and we'd they're putting the show together, and we were there doing the, t- doing the Tom Snyder show, actually, parodying a Tom Snyder. On his set? on his set so if you go to um the go to google or youtube yeah credibility gap tonight show a uh, tomorrow show uh-huh you'll can find this sketch so you were just well, how were you able to shoot there and why were but he was he had heard we did we made fun of him and he flew us oh. to new york and said would you do it on the show and okay we said, okay would you do it on the show yeah, yeah would you come on the show and do it yeah. for us for me make fun of me ha 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 and we did yeah and it was really fun so I, we knew some of those people like I say I knew Chevy f- through Christopher and um, from the lampoon stuff yeah yeah, yeah. and Franken and Davis from this other thing and so you know we'd hang out and uh, you know we did a couple of little pieces for him you know just what kind of wasn't a good fit and Lauren said you know said, no we don't know to this we have a group we don't want to hire a group to be within the group right you know, because they already had that the kind of Franken and Davis thing and, yeah you know, so anyway, we didn't didn't work on so the show. So, cut to 25 years away yeah, like or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was, well, it was 90, 94. 20 years away. Yeah. And uh, Lauren called and said, You want to be on the show? And I said, Yeah, okay. And they started talking money. And I was surprised that the money was pretty good. You yeah. Know? I, I thought, because I still thought of myself as entry level, even though I was 44 oh, right, right. or whatever I was.
1: <laughs> you can find <laughs> uh,
0: it out. Yeah. And uh, so I, now I wound up doing the, his, the last six shows of the 93, 94 season. Yeah. No, or yeah, whatever it was. <laughs> God help me. Yeah. Yeah. And last six shows. And then uh, the 94, 95 season, I did that, that full season. And who were the guys on there with you? Farley, McDonald. And Adam. Yeah. Spade. Uh-huh um so you had a lot ju- of these julia tri- sweeney at first mm-hmm. and schneider at first aggressive and- young guns some of them yeah, yeah 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 and uh the it was not really the pinnacle of their creativity as far as the, the the show goes you know a lot of it was people pitching ideas for farley's next movie or or you know looking for something that was going to break right, out and be right. the next wayne's world right because that was still a recent phenomenon at that right time it's like oh my god is that what we're going to do and that's Fabulous. So that's where the Spade Farley relationship kind of I built think so. out. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got a lot of stuff on. I did. Strangely enough, uh, I wrote some stuff with Jay, Jay Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a couple of sketches with Schneider. Mm-hmm. One of which actually got on. A bunch of stuff with Franken. A bunch of stuff with Dave Man. Franken was so funny. You know, it's like it's so odd because I did Air America in the same building yeah, with yeah. him, and but I was always a fan of his. His, his he's got a very specific. Way of attacking comedy, yeah, and it's very subtle but very cutting, yeah, and it's so charming, yeah. No, no, I love, yeah. I love Al. Yeah, do yeah. you talk to him as a senator at all? Or? I, you know, I haven't spoken to him. Face, I, we emailed a little bit when he was first uh, when he was first elected. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'd love to run into him again, but he's a busy man. Yeah, and so, he's a really good senator. Too, yeah, man. no, he's great. Yeah. He's great. And I think it's what he, you know, he wanted to do all yeah. along in a way. So your experiences with Lauren were good. Yeah, for for the most part, yeah. um, you know, when I. Uh, they cleaned house at the end of the ninety four ninety five season. Uh-huh. They got pretty much everybody left. Spade hung out kind of for a little bit, right? But uh, that's when they really started bringing people like um, um, Will Farrell, and, uh, yeah. and it was it was a you know it was a big kind of a new um, Daryl Hammond, you know who was. Sure. And I had spent the year doing a very crappy Clinton, in my opinion. Uh-huh. I, I was following Phil Hartman, right. who was like fucking aced it, you know. Yeah hartman had a unique ability with impressions to to really not only get them right but to really focus on the th- one thing that made them hilarious right well his sinatra like, was exactly the angry bullshit tough guy that we always knew was yeah, lurking yeah, yeah there yeah, you know yeah, that's that's how a he was tricky pre- thing. he was an amazing actor yeah yeah he Were was you friends know? with him a little bit yeah. yeah and he gave me great advice uh-huh. you know i after the first show i didn't get i was on for like a second uh-huh. on the first show uh-huh. I did, or I you know one little piece. Yeah. And I was thinking, Oh Christ, I don't know what you know, this is not good. And at the party that night, or right before or at the end of the show, yeah. Phil just said, You really gotta write for yourself. Yeah. And I said, Do you have a writing credit on this show? And he says, No, I didn't at first, but I still I wrote for myself. Right. I know what I can do. Yeah. So I went home that night. Or the, you know, that that first day off or whatever. And I wrote my first sketch using a character that I had done with the credibility gap, which was this, you know, ancient pig movie director. Yeah. And kind of like John Ford. Right, right. But but still sort of alive. Right. And I pitched it to to do with uh, um, Helen Hunt. Uh And it's a really, it's, it's a funny sketch. And so it was like, oh, he's right. This is how you do that. So I would, you know, always really... Really so, did you, you make a text? list of characters that you could? No, hit? no, it's just if, if a story would remind me of something that I thought I could do or a style I'd always wanted to do. I, I did a, a, a Sterling, a, a, um, a Spalding Gray impression. Oh. oh, really? And so I wrote a piece of uh, Spalding Gray and Eric Bogosian having like a Battle of the Bands monologue. Oh, right. oh, that's funny. And Adam played Bogosian, uh-huh. you know? And uh, and did you do Robert Evans as well? I did. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great, but it was. I mean, it was a funny character. It wasn't right. particularly like him. Yeah, but it was still it was it was I was fascinated, like everybody.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: yeah. I'm almost as fascinated as Patton Oswalt is with with uh, with, uh, <laughs> with Evans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's on Twitter now, huh? He's on Twitter now. Evans is. Yeah, excellent. It's weird who's on Twitter. William Friedkin's on Twitter. <laughs> like, it's just bizarre. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So that so you had a good experience. I did have a good experience, and when it was over. I, I thought, man, you know, I've only been fired once before in my life, which yeah. was also by NBC. <laughs> oh, really? So I'm beginning to think I should maybe not work for NBC. <laughs> but you knew it was just a way of the... It was thing. really... Yeah, things were just changing. And I, like I say, they really... Daryl came in and he did a great Clinton and a great Ted Koppel. And, you know, he, yeah. he's a really, really good guy. And, uh, you know, it eventually evolved into the the, the Tina Fey, you know. Right, and, right. Sure, and, sure. And but Andy, is Warren is Warren somebody that you keep in touch with? no. No. no, I haven't seen him since then. But yeah, or, or I, I don't. You know, I don't know why I'm so uh, obsessed with Lord Michaels. Well, here, you know, I I can't trash him for you. No, I'm not looking for trash. No, you, I, know, I understand. Know. Looking for a way in. I understand. Hey, I he's know. just. He's just. He's just a a kind of a, a. You know. You know what a white shoe lawyer is. Uh-uh. That's they're, they're white shoe law firms. They're yeah. they're the people who handle the people who live in Newport Beach, uh-huh. and you know they can have white shoes because they never have to do any work. Right. Okay. I think that's what it is. Yeah. It's about you know, and it's not this doesn't make him an elitist necessarily. It's just that he's kind of way up there, and you know he was making a lot of money then per show. He's must be making thirty times that much oh my now. God. Well, he, and it's like he's just that guy. But he's you know, he's, he was always decent to me, so I can't I, you know. I, I think I I think I got He yelled at me once. Oh, really? Because I was reading a book during the show. Oh, really? I had nothing to do for like twenty minutes. So I was sitting there reading this book about uh, English um soccer toughs. Yeah. You know, football right. thugs. <laughs> I couldn't put it down. Yeah. Let's face it. So he comes over and he goes, catching up on your reading. Wow <laughs> uh, I, I said Just cleansing the palate yeah uh-huh. <laughs> Anyway But he was He was He was fine to me Now You've been like in Really almost every movie ever It seems <laughs> Like it's not Like you're one of those guys That, that works And you show up places And you're always yeah. Sort of there And some parts are bigger than others But yeah. you just work I do I keep busy Yeah and uh, you know, how how was your health after that thing that happened? That <laughs> well, was very I'm scary. I'm, it was what pretty, happened? It was pretty scary. I was standing on the uh, northeast corner of 86th and Broadway. I had just come out of the subway stop, and I was going to, to my home, which is on West End Avenue. And um, a car going north wanted to make the yellow light, and a car turning east wanted to turn... So the car going north hit the car going east, and they double teamed me. I didn't even have to oh step off the off the curb, and they just came right up on the curb and they took me out, and uh, broke a broke leg in three places. And they took me to the hospital. They took me to the hospital I had been born in. Wow, sixty four years earlier. Was Billy Joel there? <laughs> Billy was in the hospital back in Higgsville. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, and they they put me back together, and they taught me how to walk again, and and I'm good. I'm to be good now, doing good. Right? I'm but fine. Was it scary as shit? It was pretty scary, but it was. But the to realize once I kind of I went out for a little bit, you mm-hmm. know, but once I came to and realized that it was just a broken leg, right. Uh, and the, you know, I was, I was bloody and everything because my scalp had been cut open, but that's not a big deal. Um, well, cause of the hit the, you hit the concrete. I, no, I hit the, I hit the windshield. Oh my God. So you think flew I'm, up on that, too. flew up onto the thing. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So, uh, but to realize that I hadn't been killed and wasn't going to die from this was a very, very good feeling. And my wife was there. She was in LA when this happened. Uh-huh. She was there nine hours later. Yeah. You know, in the hospital with me. Okay. She stayed with my, in with me in the hospital every night for the first, you know, week or this so. This is the wife I met. This is Annette. And and you've been with her a long time. We've been together 15 years. Uh-huh. Yeah. And how many kids do you have? Uh, Together we have three. Wow. Yeah. So they're all but, pretty young. We don't have any together. No, but no, no. We no. don't have any oh, together okay, but, yeah, that way, to biologically. Yeah. Uh-huh. Right. How old is your oldest kid? Uh, my biological son is uh, 28. Uh-huh. And, uh... The uh, girls who are Annette's girls are twenty four and twenty eight. Do you get along with your your son? Oh, um, yeah, I, I get along with all my kids. That's They're good. good. They're awesome. Yeah. Any
1: in show business?
0: Uh, Nell Geislinger, who uh-huh. is uh, who is Annette's daughter by, uh-huh. by Bill Geislinger, her uh-huh. first husband, is an amazing actress up in the at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I mean, it's seriously fabulous actress she grew up in it mm-hmm. she grew up that's her hometown is, yeah. is Ashland Oregon uh-huh so she's like a kind of a star there if I she'd, she'd kill me if I said that but uh-huh. she really is she's you know she's uh-huh. the goods and um you know she'll she's one of those people she'll either become a a, a, a star yeah you know on, on the stage she yeah. just loves the stage yeah or she'll run a theater company she'll take over you know the guthrie or something sure she's sure. that smart and right right she's incredible it's a whole world and a, and a writer and all that you know do you so get, she's the one who's in the biz okay do you get shakespeare i love shakespeare i've only uh i did i played gloucester or as he's always called poor old gloucester in king lear he's the guy who gets his eyes scooped out uh-huh. um which is a good finish for act one believe sure. me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and it was that was the first time yeah. as a big boy i'd really worked on uh, uh-huh. shakespeare sam waterston played Lear, and bill irwin was the fool uh-huh. and he was like amazing wow and great women uh-huh uh, kelly o'hara and enid graham did you have to study up on that shit or, or i mean uh well you have to learn it <laughs> you have right. to learn what it says but is there a way of doing shakespeare that's different than doing anything else well only because the language isn't as plain on first sight sure you have to know that this means this because mm-hmm. if otherwise it won't make sense um but uh Lear is an incredibly hard play and it's really really hard work and it's three hours every night sure uh and that's the cut version if you want to do all of king Lear, it's four hours wow so my ain't gonna be doing that <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> Uh, but it was great. It was really fun to work on, and the director was was wonderful, and Sam was great. Watching Sam Waterston try and learn the biggest part in the English language, and I, and he's all he was always with booked, always trying to get it, you know. And he had been working on it for months. Yeah, and I said, "Do you ever? Are you ever not running lines?" Uh-huh. And he says, "Yeah, sometimes I catch myself not running lines." <laughs> That must be so like, daunting to, like, to be consumed by that. Uh, like Stage plays are so terrifying. The, the, no, not for me. Well, I mean, just the idea that, like, do I have my lines? Oh, I mean, oh, just getting that yeah. out of the way. I am now learning. I'm opening in a play uh, at the Geffen. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, it's the biggest part I've ever had to learn. So what I've been doing it? that every night. Is it's it called a- Yes, Prime Minister. It's based on a, a British series uh-huh. that was uh, created by Jonathan Lynn, who uh-huh. directed me in Clue, in uh-huh. 1985 and um, it's very very funny but man there's a lot of words and yeah I mean it's so, like I, I've done some plays in my life but it's just terrifying it, there's like nothing more frightening than coming up on an opening and being like I don't know if I have the the mm. whole thing I've always been pretty good about that yeah you yeah, got the brain for it well I, I got I, I just know that it has to be done right you know right even though when you're out there on the stage you yeah. go up I mean it does happen It's it's never happened seriously to me I've always been able to pick it up but I've seen people go dry on the stage. Yeah, and that's pretty. You can you can feel their clamminess from across the oh, stage. Well, you know, just, yeah, the terror. Yeah. It's yeah. A terror. I uh, just did a show with James Earl Jones, who really a huge part. Yeah, and uh, and he went up. He went up just one time, and I wasn't on stage. It was him and John Larroquette on stage? What was this? What play? The was best, that? the best man
1: uh-huh.
0: in New York. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And and it got to a point, and James just he didn't have the next line. Yeah. And he handled it so beautifully because yeah. he plays this, an ex-president uh-huh. of the U.S., and he's very very kind of a chummy thing going on. Very, big man, but, but just, you know kind of just, we were talking just the two of us together. So he gets to this point where he where he <laughs> doesn't doesn't have it, and without missing a beat, he looks at Laricet and he goes, "Can you help me out here?" <laughs> and John said, um, "I mean, he, John kind of basically took him to the next beat." Yeah. You're always telling me I'm such a, you know, a, a something boy, you know, yeah, yeah, rich yeah. man's kid, and that got him back to the store. What? It was a nice moment, you yeah. know? <laughs> Some people go, even your James Earl Joneses go up occasionally. Did, did anyone notice it or, other than you guys? No. That's no, beautiful. No, we, I just was backstage listening. Where our cat just took him to the next one. Well, they just, they handled it really well. Oh, yeah. that's a good story. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking, Mr. Hey, McKean. Man, this was a lot of fun, and- uh I'll keep listening even when I'm not on. How about oh, that? I'd love for that to happen. And okay. I'm going to give you a fancy mug that a guy made me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I'll give it to you in just a second. Good deal. I'm going to show you my guitars. Yes, sir. All right, buddy. That's it, folks. That's our show. I love that man. Catherine O'Hara on Thursday. They are of the same generation. They are both equally as amazing. Uh, I will be at Shoot this uh, weekend doing a live WTF and some stand-up comedy. Go to WTFPod.com for all your WTF Pod needs. Uh, get the app, get on the mailing list, kicking a few shekels, buy some merch. We're going to have some new posters up there shortly. Things are going to be happening. Things are going to be changing. Not drastically, but, uh, but you know, there's going to be more things. More WTF things. I feel it coming, man. I feel it coming. Have I done everything I do- need to do? Have I done everything I'm required to do? Thank you, Denver. Looking forward to going to Seattle. We're starting production this week on uh, Marin. We're going to start writing. Everything is moving along. I am not complaining. I am struggling with waves of profound anxiety and anger. But, uh, you know, that's just the way I'm wired and I'm on it. Okay? I've got a lot of people working on it. All right, there's me, there's the three people in my head, and then the person I'm paying to deal with it, and also the program of recovery. A lot of things. A lot of things going into making me a sane motherfucker. Okay? All righty. Boomer
1: lives!